Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. I know I'm negotiating with being a great guitarist or getting my cozy TV time at night. I know that. Because that I do know that makes me practice more. Does it make me practice two hours a day? No, not right now. But at least I know what I'm doing. And I'm not in some story about, oh, learning instruments so hard, I don't have time. No, that's not true. I'm just negotiating with my destiny, that's all. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In the last episode, we looked at the first two of the four stages of relating to change, ignoring and dabbling, and how they're correlated with the first three of the five stages of engagement. Don't worry, you don't have to do any math to follow this. <laughs> this week, we'll examine the last two stages of relating to change, which will bring us full circle and parallel our conversation about discovering your one thing. And I just want to add, as I'm sure I say in this uh in these episodes, but it bears repeating. Your relationship to change is the most important thing. Period. It's the most important thing because whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever's in front of you is calling for you to change. And when we unconsciously don't realize that we don't want to change, we just want to solve the problem, then what's going on actually is your distorted and dystrophied relationship to change is causing your suffering. You follow that? That's not quite mathematical, but it is logical. So if it's true that whatever problem is in front of you likely causes you, uh, is causing you to need to change, then your relationship to change becomes the governing dynamic of your ability to solve that. Again, this series came from the Learning for Change course, which is available online. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because I want to help And this is the way I do that. So if you're interested in becoming a Dojo member or doing just one of the courses, you can go to clearandopen.com and or courses.clearandopen.com. I offer quite a lot of value for very little money and um, I think you'll get a lot out of it. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, you can just open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Let's start the show. It reminds me of uh, my early dating I would say career, but it really wasn't much of a career. My early dating. Dating uh, analogy. I didn't even think of that. It, yeah. It totally fits. Keep talking. Yeah. So in, I was kind of late to the game, but in my 20s, I dated and I didn't really get to know anyone well because I was afraid of commitment and didn't want to go in too deep. So I basically dated a whole bunch of people for anywhere for one to three months. And at the three month mark, it was like, whoa, this is getting a little, little too deep. I'm out. Yeah. And that, and there were, I was another model, fish in the sea. Yeah, I was in that model for years and years and years, you know, and you don't really get any depth. It's just you meet a lot of right. people. But there was really, I didn't learn much. Yeah. Right. So well, I, that's what it seems like. Yeah. You got, yeah, that's a great analogy. Thank you so much, Ed, because that's really a great way to normalize this. So, what I would say is 
the experimentation is a completely natural phase, right? Teenagers, if, if your teenager, uh, teenage son or daughter was like, you know what? This whole dating scene, it's not for me. I'm waiting for the one, right? <laughs> You'd go, oh crap. Uh, no, no. You need to go out and experiment because you don't, you won't know what you really like, right? You know, it's sort of like, uh, it, it's the reason it's quite rare that, that people, you know, their first long-term relationship is almost never the long-term relationship, right? Because you got to learn. Like, no, I can't live with someone who smacks their lips when they, they eat, or I, you know, I need someone who doesn't snore, or I need some, like, I know someone with completely different values. I tried that, that didn't work. We have to experiment, right? So I would say is that kind of sampling is a necessary phase on the way to a real commitment. So, um, because it's safe, as you said, it's like, you know, after a certain point, this sort of real commitment, like how much are you going to share about yourself with this person? How much do you really want to know about this person? How much are you willing to commit? You know, because shit gets really real when you start making them co-signer on all of your bank accounts. You know, that's when it gets really real or one of you gets, they get really sick and it turns out they can never walk again or something. And now you're thinking that in sickness and health uh, uh, value made, you're re-looking at it. It's, it's a commitment, just like giving yourself over to a one thing. So what I would say is it's pretty easy to see that the more difficult path is whole hog plus postage. I can't tell you how much fun I'm having saying that. I haven't thought about that in 20 years. Whole hog plus postage, which is the next phase, which I would call seeking. Seeking is associated with the fourth phase of uh, the stage of engagement, and that is thrival. Seeking is an active, intense pursuit of some kind of change. And again, this could be learning guitar or the pursuit of enlightenment. doesn't matter. These I'm offering are universal. Seeking is when the comfort level becomes less important than the learning or change that you seek. That's the hallmark of moving from security to thrival, right? When you get burned out on comfort, which I think everyone needs to learn. We, we spend time in comfort because the, the ego typically imagines like, oh man, you know, when I have X level of comfort and it looks like this much money and this summer home here, then I will have made it. Or, you know, when I retire, you know, what happens when most people retire, right? They get bored and they take up hobbies and pour themselves into that. So it, it's usually true that whatever picture we have of what comfort is does not really fulfill us. And that's what launches us over the fence into thrival. And that's when we become, in the beginning, uh, committed to something and then eventually obsessed. That's sort of the range. Like, all right, I'm in. And then you realize it takes more and more and more of your attention. Thrival, however, is still the ego. By my definition, it's uh, an egoic, personal will based, willful pursuit of whatever it is. It requires focus, it requires dedication, it requires determination, all of the personal will type stuff. And that I would also say is a necessary phase of development because. That's where you find out what you're capable of. You know, say you want to be a bodybuilder. 
right? You know, in security, you, you realize oh, I'm not that I'm not in such great shape. And I've, I've known people like this, you know, and they're, you know, carrying 20, 30 extra pounds. They're eating a lot of fried things. And then one day they have a heart attack. And then three months later, they're a bodybuilder, right? They're a vegan bodybuilder and they're in the gym an hour and a half, six days a week. This happens, right? You maybe met people like that. They just pour themselves in like security, just the ego throws it to the winds. Like, you know what? I'm going to be the absolute best, whatever, frisbee thrower, weightlifter, guitar player. They just, they're all in whole hog, right? And it requires a lot of will. And then eventually they get tired. In the case of weightlifting, usually injured. Uh, and they see like, wow, this like waking up at 4.30 in the morning to get to the gym by 5.30 and to get an enormous workout in before work. You know, they do that for three years and their adrenals are toast and they're just burnt out and they're not really fulfilled. <laughs> just realized I was, just realized I was talking about myself. In college, I was got into bodybuilding. I'm, I'm 5'10, 142 right now. I'm skinny. Uh, I used to be, I was the same height, but I was like 162. I was 20 pounds heavier and I was eating 150 grams of protein a day. I could do 12 pull-ups with 30 pounds hanging from my waist on a chain. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I wasn't doing many power lifts, but I looked, I was quite a specimen. I looked great. I was completely miserable, completely miserable. And I'm so glad I did that because I found my peak physical condition. Because my ego is like, well, if you were in incredible shape, maybe then you'd be happy. So I went all in. I didn't dabble. And that's why I think that's so important. Because if you dabble, if I dabbled for like 20 years with the story of like, well, yeah, I'm working out like three, four days a week. I could be doing better, but you know, this isn't bad. Maybe one day I'll step it up. Then that holds in place the delusion that the ego delusion story of if I keep going down this path, it will reach fulfillment. You see? So the ego is fine with you skating horizontally, dabbling, because then you get to retain the story. It's the same thing with meditation. You know, in meditation, you learn, wow, when my head is clear, I'm really enjoying life way better. And so then people think meditation is about clearing your head. It's not. It's about realizing that you can't. But people stay in level one meditation, managing their thoughts just enough, just as, just as much as they can, clearing it. And then they make up this idea, oh, well, if I did this more, I'd be able to clear my head anytime I want, and then I'd be happy. Yeah, try. Try. Meditate six hours a day for six months and work at that. Do you know what happens when you experience with every cell of your body that you cannot manage your own thoughts? You get enlightened. That's what that is. When you fully realize that you cannot manage your own thoughts, that they're not you, that you'll never be able to control them all the time, you wake up. And it's one of the most extraordinary things possible for a human to experience. But that experience and that path is completely precluded by the horizontal skating, you see? And that's not by accident. That's by design. You see? Because when you wake up that way, your personality catches on fire and you don't get to decide what stays and what goes. You find out. 
And most egos are like, uh, no, not for me. I like the idea I have of who I am. I don't really care whether it's true or not. I'm going to stick with this. It's working. Kind of. So that brings us to flow. Because the seeking will eventually reveal to you. Well, the seeker is the poker that you use to manage your fire. You know, your campfire. So you're poking the fire around with the stick. And every once in a while, the stick catches on fire. You maybe whack it against a rock, put it out, so your poker survives. But eventually, when the fire is done and there's no more managing the fire, you throw the poker in and it burns too. And the poker is your ego. The poker is the cause of your suffering. The very thing that you use to manage everything in thrival, in seeking. In other words, the you that actually began the process of change, whatever that is, could be music, right? Um, Or martial arts or a sport, or leadership or management. The you who embarks on the learning project, whatever that is, you will eventually discover is the very thing in the way of true mastery. Let me say that again. The you who decided to embark on the change process, you will eventually discover is the very you that's in the way. So, for example, uh, this here's something that happens every day. A virtuoso musician who wants to be in a band. Virtuosos tend to be a little on the narcissistic side. They want to be in a band. They're going to have to learn how to get along with other people and not be arrogant virtuosos, right? Because those kinds of people often don't make very good leaders. Maybe that virtuoso needs to not be the leader of the band. Realize that they may be the best musician in the group, but not the best leader. Or here's another thing that happens every day. Founder of a company. I've been watching uh, Silicon Valley. You guys know that HBO show. And you know the, uh, Richard Hendricks, the founder of uh, Pied Piper, he, he desperately wants to be the CEO of the company that he founded, but he's completely unqualified. <laughs> So there's all this drama about whether he gets to be the CEO or not. And in the narrative, in the narrative of the show, they don't really go against that a whole lot. You're, you're encouraged to root for him as getting to be the CEO as the viewer when he's really not the best CEO, like not at all. Like he shouldn't be the, the CEO. But this happens every day. Just because you are the founder of a company, you think you should be the CEO. The CEO is a skill set. The founder is, a, is an entrepreneurial state or idea and a statement of equity. The two have very little to do with each other. And so think about how many CEOs there are in the world who right now think they should be the CEO because they have equity stake on the balance sheet. Well, what's one got to do with the other? Who's the best person for the job? So it could be that what actually is called for at a certain point when you start a company or buy a company, that actually the best thing for you to do is to take yourself out of leadership role or become the leader that you need to be. Either way, the you you started as cannot continue. And that surrender is 
flow. That's the entrance to flow. Even if something as simple as a musical instrument, right? I want to be a great guitarist and my lifestyle means that I only have 45 minutes a day to practice. Well, you're going to discover that that's impossible. So what are you going to do then, right? There's a surrender movement. One of my early guitar teachers, I didn't have really any teacher, but I had a few here and there. He just said to me, I remember a matter of factly, he's like, well, to become a great guitarist, you got to practice six hours a day. Like as if it were completely obvious. I was like, six hours? Six hours? That's almost full time. You know, I was shocked. And I was a dabbler in with guitar for 20 years until I moved to Maui. And I was like, that's it. I'm 40 years old and I still am not happy with how good I am at guitar. Uh, I'm going to do, I need to do something about this. And I practiced two hours a day for about two years. Magically, it worked. It was almost as if all those teachers before knew what they were talking about. Right? So I only have eight minutes left, so I better talk about flow some more. Which is, of course, the hardest thing to talk about. It's far easier to talk about what flow is not. Um, and the word I have for the stage of relating to change is surrender. Relating to change from a place of surrender is just like the one thing. You're giving yourself over to it. You give yourself over to it. You give it power. The power is yours to give, of course, but you give it power where you realize this is so me. This is so what I need to be doing. This is so what I want that I'm willing to do whatever it takes, but not in the willful way because that's seeking. But in a sort of, uh, in Zen, what they call the backward step, there's sort of a relaxing into. So like in seeking, for example, people will usually try to cram a lot of stuff into their life. I want it all. I want to be good at this and good at this and good at this and have this project and be on the PTA and be on the board of this company. And I want to thrive. And I have this picture of what that is. And then they overwhelm themselves and burn out. And what that forces someone to do is to ask themselves, what's really important? So the governing dynamic of this fourth stage, surrender, of course, is not construction, it's deconstruction. It's letting go. It's making choices like, well, I really like watching episodes of Silicon Valley at night. And that's the best time I have for practicing guitar. So I have a choice. That moment is surrender. Not... How do I make it work? Well, I'll practice while watching TV, which is a phase all musicians go through and doesn't work. That's not surrender. That's cake and eat it too, which is a big dynamic in thrival. In thrival, there's a lot of negotiating the change. That's sort of what all of thrival is, or what I'm calling seeking. It sort of works to talk about them synonymously, but we're focusing on relationship to change here. When you're seeking, there's a lot of negotiation. Okay, I'll meditate a half hour every morning. That should be enough. Well, it might be. And after a couple of years, when your meditation practice starts to stagnate, what are you going to do then? You're going to up it? You're going to do a session at night too? Or in the beginning, well, I'll do guided meditations. That should be enough. Hmm. So that you don't have to deal with your fear of stillness and silence? See where that takes you. That's doing your homework in front of the TV. That's practicing your instrument while doing something else. You're not in whole hog plus postage. 
And so the connection to the one thing, I think, is obvious. All of this, I mean, really, the, the whole course of your life is the slow, inevitable process of giving yourself over to the one thing and surrendering your actions to it. Because that's the design of life, I would argue. So thrival is sort of like being in the river and swimming upstream and being really clear, like, no, over there, that's where I want to get to. When I get to that rock, then I'll be happy. And you're swimming and you're swimming and you're swimming faster and you're getting stronger and you're getting better at swimming and you're learning a lot. And you're a little closer to the rock and you can see it. And you're getting closer and you're getting closer and eventually you just get so tired. It makes you think, why did I think that rock was so important? Maybe it's not. And you take a break and the will rests, maybe for the first time in decades. And suddenly it comes to you. What actually is the most important thing? And without even realizing it, you thought you were just treading water, but you notice now there's a current. It's taking you somewhere. And then you see it's taking you somewhere and then maybe you're like, oh, no, I got to get to the rock or I don't, I don't know where this is taking me. I don't trust it. So maybe you fight against it for a while. But then because you're already exhausted, you can't keep that up for very long. And the current takes you and you trust it for a little bit. You start to notice the current is taking you to amazing places, places you didn't think were possible, places you didn't even know you wanted, but you did. And then maybe you feel a little bit out of control and your ego jumps up and causes you to start swimming toward that rock again to regain a sense of control. But that doesn't last long because eventually the will just like the stick you're using to tend the fire, eventually it catches fire and you can't put it out. And you learn to trust that current more and more and more. And then eventually you start to see that that current is actually you. And the you that was going for the rock never was. And you realize that that current that's trying to take you somewhere, that's been there all along. It was never not there. And you remember, oh yeah, I remember this. It was always there. That's flow. From that perspective, last thought, from that perspective, change is not something you have to will or do. Change is something that you go with because you can experience that it's already happening. And it's effortless power and non-resistant change. And you can learn things in moments that some people will spend their entire lives struggling with. That is surrendering to the flow. Ed? Uh, first of all, I'm glad these are recorded because that was really good. That was awesome. <laughs> Dude, you're just killing it. I, yeah, I was just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yeah. The current uh, is actually you. Thank you. Wow. So related to that, and that was awesome. Um, yesterday, two things happened. Uh, one... I got asked to apply for a teaching job at our local community college. And B, I didn't want it. <laughs> and it wasn't because of money. It wasn't because of any, anything. Like, the pay is actually fine. And it's at our, you know, it's not at Gonzaga. It's not one of the, it's a community college. And I would be 
you know, I, there's a decent chance I would get it, but then I looked at it and I read it. And I'm like, yeah, I used to really want this. And on the same day, I guest lectured for my old class. The new instructor invited me to guest lecture and I had a blast. And I left saying, uh, I just want to reach those five kids out of the 30. Like, that's what I want to do. Nice. And then I left and one of those kids reached out to me and he was like, thank you. That was so amazing. I didn't know this world existed. Can we connect and grab a cup of coffee? And I'm like, okay. So I reached that one kid. Cool. And that's what I wanted. I'm like, okay, I just want to reach that kid, the person that actually wants to leave the nest. Ed, what's your your one thing? Good question. Uh, I'm going back and forth between love and care. Uh, Let's just call call it love because I'm kind of afraid of it. So I think that's... Yeah. So, so Joseph, when I sent you that, that thing to talk about, I said, once you start making decisions through the eyes of your one thing, almost like your one thing is focused in a binocular. Like when you just talk, Ed, you got so excited because you were coming from that place of your one thing. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's it. So, um, we're at time and, uh, we have the, uh, errant weed whacker to thank for the magic that came through me at the end there, because I don't think that would have unless I really had to focus more. So that's how it is. Um, life is constantly challenging us. How, thank you. How, how quickly can we move from stage one to surrendering? Uh, this is happening. I don't want it to be happening. Okay. It is happening. How do I get with it? How is it actually the current? How can I ride that? How is it actually an invitation? Because the struggling, that's just the individual will. And unfortunately, we're conditioned to think, that's really one of the key things about this. We're conditioned to think that change is really hard work. And like I've said before, negotiating the change is hard work. So that doesn't mean you get a pass on that phase, but I think you move through it a whole lot quicker if you can see what you're really doing is negotiating with it. That's what you're really doing. So that's cool. I know I'm negotiating with being a great guitarist or getting my cozy TV time at night. I know that. Because that I do know that makes me practice more. Does it make me practice two hours a day? No, not right now. But at least I know what I'm doing. And I'm not in some story about, oh, learning instruments so hard, I don't have time. No, that's not true. I'm just negotiating with my destiny, that's all. And you're picking an incredible TV show to balance it out with. I would say those are pretty even right there. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good show. I get a lot of good material from it. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com review and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.